Welcome to Tanked Up, the podcast about video games and craft beer. I'm Benova, and for another week I'm joined by Adel Koji. Holy shit. I mean, Ooh. hello! Again, another episode, just the two of us. We can make it if we try. I yeah, exactly. Was, before, yeah. I um, also, I realized that uh, I have been neglecting tagging the episodes uh, as explicit. Oh, 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 shit. Yeah. Which is what, I remember that as soon as I said, holy shit, as my first words. So I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Set a little reminder <laughs> yeah. for when you're uploading this I, episode. I, um, I've never done, I didn't realize that the tag was there on um, on the WordPress or whatever. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I've literally never done it. Nice. Yeah. Oh, well, iTunes will catch us up one day, maybe. I highly doubt it, but... Uh, I don't know, uh, the throngs of viewers we have... <laughs> eventually someone's child is going to be caught listening to it and then there will be hell to pay i'll say this doesn't this doesn't say that it's explicit i allowed my three-year-old to listen and they're, they're walking around saying shit and cunt and loads of other words that they've heard from this podcast i feel like a craft beer and video games podcast if you it it deals with mature subject matter just by its very nature so well, fuck you Exactly. In the UK, you've got to be over 18 or 18 or over to uh, to enjoy, legally enjoy craft beer or any alcohol of any kind. <laughs> craft beer. Everything else, it's 16, but craft yeah. beer. Yeah. Everything else, you know, whenever you fucking like. Um, um, same thing with Canada, except for uh, a, it's, provinces, a few provinces, it's 19, actually. No oh, 19. Well, I bet they fucking look at all those 18-year-olds in the other provinces thinking, fuck you, motherfuckers. We want to drink too, but then they probably just drink anyway, as we all did when we were kids. Right. This episode, episode 51, we are going to drink a couple of beers each. We are also going to chat about a few games we've played, and we're going to go into uh, a little in-depth discussion on VR. PlayStation VR was launched uh, the, the last week. It was last week, wasn't it? Yes, the yes. 13th. The 13th. And you managed to pick up a headset. So we're going to chat about PlayStation VR, our experiences or initial experiences with it, and possibly talk about the other VR headsets out there that um, that we've had experiences with. But first, beer. What are you going for, Otto? What are you starting with? I'm going to start with um, uh, Bath Ale's Wild Hair, their impeccable pale ale. And it is brewed for those who know a wonderful wholesome golden pale ale with a fresh citrus hoppy aroma and a dry bitter finish and for those who don't we brew wild hair using the finest maris otter pale malt and first gold hops these give wild hair its lovely crisp and full flavored taste which we've designed to be dry but not harsh wild mm. hair loves to be stored and served cool nice i've had a wild hair before but have i had one on tap? I don't know. I do remember having one in the Salamander in Bath. Um, yes. yes, yes, a long time ago when I used to live in Bath several years ago. You're looking around for a bottle opener, aren't you? You can't find one. Whilst you look, I am going to open up. <laughs> As I said, you're breaking the fourth wall. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, you won't hear what I'm drinking because your headphones are going, but well, I'm going to tell all of the listeners what I'm going to be drinking. Sounds good. I am going to drink a Wiper and True, one of our 
favourite brewers. Uh, a wiper and true in the grooves. It's an amber ale, uh, a full-bodied amber ale, pairing the finest malts with some intensely fruity hops. Eldorado is enjoyed for its pear and watermelon characteristics. Ella for tropical fruit and floral notes, and Simcoe for orange citrus. So this does sound like it's going to have quite a lot of fruity flavours, which is nice. We like our fruity beers. Now we shall wait whilst Adel returns. He's had to actually run to the shop to buy a bottle opener. He's been some time. It may be that he's died on the way. Keep talking. Keep talking. He's, he, he's, he's back. Trip to the shop was not as long as it may have been. Hello. You have returned to us. So, Wiper and True in the Grooves Amber Ale. It's a nice, deep, bronze colour. Good, crisp head. Little opaque, little translucent, sort of in between. Nicely carbonated. Smells smells lovely. Smells very fruity. Mmm, that's very nice. I've got a crystal clear, quite bubbly... Um, wow! Straw-colored um, p- pale ale. As soon as I opened it, um, it um, I got a nice hit of um, of the of the hoppy aroma that it bragged about. Yeah. Um, I didn't actually get like the hops came out of the bottle in my face. The citrus that they claim was definitely there, but it's it's more understated. So it's not until I actually nosed the cup that I noticed it. Mm. That I nosed it. it, it. <laughs> um, we never, we never picked that one up before. Oh, I think because it's crap. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a lovely pale ale. It is a little bitter um, in the finish, but it's um, it's a very short finish. Yeah. This is a beer you you're not gonna like lounge around and 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 sip the afternoon away on like on an individual pint because there's just at least as as i've commented before i uh, if the finish is there i have no urge to have another sip yes yeah completely For this, I, if i want taste in my mouth um the dryness sort of lingers but nothing else so it just sort of mm. encourages you to have more on twofold because it nice. sort of leaves your mouth dry and it's um uh, the taste disappears quick yeah, yeah. I mean, this in the grooves is is similar in that regard. I'm getting a lot more of the uh, floral kind of notes in the the taste itself, but it is quite dry. The, again, the the finish on this one is is very short, and it's something that I think I'm going to bang through quite quickly because I'm I'm not going to sort of sit here and linger when there's no you know additional sort of bitterness aftertaste or there's not very much in the finish to to you know just allow me to sit here and ruminate on the um on the flavor so yeah i think i'm gonna bang through this one pretty quickly yeah but it's well, nice it's stuff. nice yeah it's uh it's been a, a lovely few days actually in bristol for for sun this is um it, this is a beer that sort of fits that that um early autumn late summer um yeah. sunny but brisk outside nice nice a good pairing for the day mm-hmm. so Whilst you sup away, we will start off with a few of the games that we have been playing this week. Would you like to start us, Adam? So I believe I dove into the games last week that I've been playing. Sure. Um, 
I played uh, some more of Destiny. Yeah. Um, I think last week I, I rambled on about Warframe and its um, sort of similarities with Destiny. Yeah. And that's because I've been playing Destiny um, sort of a week after EGX. I, I ended up picking up Rise of Iron and started sort of catching up with, with uh, some of our out-of-lives friends. Um, and, and I really like it. I think it's... Um, I, I actually really like the lore and the single-player um, campaign, uh, was, mm. which I wasn't expecting because it's such a build is such a multiplayer experience. I sort of yes. thought it'd be more like, like you see with the very thin COD campaigns, or even like Titanfall, where it doesn't really, like it didn't really matter that there wasn't a uh, campaign. Um, but yeah, I, I'm quite surprised. It's it's got it's got a good sci fantasy setting and. Um, it immerses you in a way that, like, that doesn't single you out as the the one true savior of the world. While you're playing with people going through the same plot, who are also yeah, the one true savior yeah. of the world, which has been the problem with a lot of uh, MMOs I've had in the past. Here, it's you're sort of uh, uh, one of the guardians, which is you know so there are unique beings that happen to have this aptitude. And you're found by a, a ghost, which is technobot flying thing. Peter Dinklage, and it, it, yeah, basically. And then you, um, and and it catches you up to speed, and you go on through the plot, and you're never really, it's it's, except for a couple things where like you you kill this big bad on the moon. Everything else makes perfect sense that you're just a guy, and there's a bunch of other guys doing things. Mm-hmm. Cool. And, and the bigger raids are done in teams. Um, like by necessity, it'll ma- match make you. So even then, when you kill the thing, you're you're not the only guy who's been in that battle. So it sort of helps. Um, and is it is it sort of um, similar to MMOs in that when you do one of these um, instances and you're in say like a five man team, will it drop? You know, something like the division drops um, loot that you can pick up and everyone gets a different set of loot in destiny. Is that the same thing or is there like, it drops two items and you've got to decide between you um, who gets it. There's no rolling or anything like that. I I don't know specifically, but just by the way, it seems like when I'm, when I'm wandering through an area, like in open world, if you're near, then things die. Sometimes they'll drop ammo and whatever. And sometimes they drop like loot. Yep. And no one picks it up, and I just go and pick it up, even though I didn't actually kill any of them, which is why I suspect it's a proximity thing yeah, that does yeah. drops for you. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't have a 100% fact on that, but that just seems to be how it works. Yeah, and it seems like that's coming a lot. As I say, it was in the division. It seems like it's coming a lot uh, more prolific in games these days. People don't want to roll for loot anymore. They want their own rewards for what they're doing. However, that does allow people to sort of sit back a little bit um and maybe not participate to the full extent that they should be during mm-hmm. one of these instances um and still gain rewards for yeah, doing I, so i i guess when you're in the instance i haven't experienced any of that but probably in the world stuff like there's some world events where like the taken show up and everyone has to fight things and you could probably just sort of be around and avoid being hit and then after the big battle's done just pick up all the shit that's quite mm-hmm. possible but there's enough going on that it'd be quite hard not to kill things because you need to survive. Yeah, usually. yeah, okay. okay. Um, what's interesting uh, about Destiny is you sort of, the level cap's at 40 right now. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but the levels, the player levels don't matter so much because um, all your gear gives you a light level. Yeah. And your light level is, so as you, as you level up in your different roles, so there's like three or four, three roles per class, and you start with one and then level 10 or 15 or something, you unlock the other. Mm-hmm. And then it's a quest line to do the third, such that you are a lightning, a solar, or a void based um version of your class yeah and um but as you play a class you just and as you play your the gear you're using and the class you're using gains experience along with you and that unlocks your abilities and gives you the choice in your sort of very limited choice in your build like which type of there's three types of grenades you'll eventually unlock and Mm. um on your sort of jump modifier there's three different ways you can change it like there's one class that gets a double jump and you can give it either uh uh, more control in your double jump so you can aim better or an even higher second jump or a third jump okay and then same thing you can choose um what uh where your um skills will be increased by um like just toughness or toughness and battle recovery such that you're gonna you know recover battle better mm-hmm. if you pick this mod this sort of perk um but uh there's quite a lot of sort of customer custom I was going to say customability. That's not the word. Customization. Customization yeah. to, to your own sort of class and the way that you want to be able to play. But as you unlock that stuff, your light level goes up. Same thing mm-hmm. with as you level up your gear or get better gear, your light level goes up. And so that's yeah. way more important. Like even on the instances or the missions, they say recommended light level 70. And that matters way more than player level 5. Because right. the scaling okay. is done really interesting. Because uh, like I started a... Um, when at EGX I played the um, striker class, which is sort of the uh, striker slash defender is the first two choices. So it's your like big tough uh, in the middle of the battle um, tanky kind of guy if you're the yeah. defender or just main like up close shoot me instead of those guys guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I really liked it on the um, on the PlayStation uh, run that they had the, the EGX special fire team mission. Uh, and uh, so I rolled another of those those characters. But when you buy the Rise of Iron, you get a token to level any character up to forty. Yep. So I had, uh, and it gives you like generic, reasonable gear for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got, I started my character at forty, but had done none of the plot. And even then, like you're not just waltzing through. Like if you had like a top level character in like WoW or something, and you started level one quests, you would not ever be in danger. Ever, yeah, yeah. For a long, long time, and it's not like that. Like they clearly do some good scaling, and that makes oh, sense because okay. they're um, they do scaling on the multiplayer on the the crucible, mm-hmm. the PvP. So you don't have a level advantage; you just have a perk advantage, basically, if you're a higher level person. Um, like for example, some of the unlocks you get on your weapons are faster reload time for or like sorry on your armor it's like faster reload time for this weapon type so you can you can stack the right armor to, such that your primary weapon is like a pulse rifle and it's got four different perks feeding into it so even though they've sort of leveled the playing field damage wise mm. and armor wise or whatever like like you know such that like your generic level stats don't matter um that will make a bigger difference right that's cool. shooting so it, faster and reloading yeah, faster it it, it, it it brings it down a little to the character abilities, but then I suppose it also comes down to how you, how you employ those abilities. 
and comes down to player ability when yeah. it's brought down to a much more sort of level playing field, um, which is a, a very cool concept. Uh, not many games do that. I mean, you know, the higher level people walk over everybody else mm. because they've got better gear, they're higher level, they've got more abilities, they've got higher hit points. They are just a better character in general, whether you're better at playing them or not than, than somebody yeah. else. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just this definitely sound. feels like the first time where um, if you were good, you would survive. Mm, mm. I mean, again, you're still, you're still a limited character. It's not like, um, it's not like they're Harrison Bergeroning every character. That's right. Literary reference number four. Nice. I, I literally think this is the only, like the fourth literary reference we've had in 51 episodes. <laughs> um, like it's not that we're handicapping everyone such that everyone has the exact same um, plot abilities. It's just that everyone's put on a reasonable enough playing field such that um, you have a chance. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Nice. So it's quite easy then even, what are we two years on is Rise of Iron sort of the second year expansion? Yeah. Well, mm, yeah. As in end of year one, Taken King came out. End yeah. of year two, Rise of Iron. I think. Rise of Iron's yeah. come out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's quite easy then to still jump into and to, to pick yourself up to sort of the, the same level as people who have been playing from day one. Yeah, and I don't know if they've increased rewards or anything because uh, my first character when I first got the game was a... Uh, a warlock and i took it to i bought t- taken king so i it was I ended at like level 28 and i had a level 8 hunter yeah. but i i play i've been f- uh, fooling around with the hunter and i sort of played the first planet with all three um tunes mm-hmm. and now i have a level 28 hunter and a level 29 um uh warlock because i barely like i went from like 26 to 29 or something um, but I did it. I've done the moon as well with the one with the um, hunter and not with the uh, warlock. So like, it's not hard to level up to catch. I mean, I don't know what the gap between 30 and 40 is, but like, I'm like, I, I very high level considering where I was at, you know, a couple of weeks back. Yeah. And it's, um, it's how much time have you put into it to be able to get yourself up to that sort of level? Has it been, you know, a few hours a day, or has it just been very sporadic? It's a little been bit here and there. A few hours a day, but like in that, if I averaged it out over the time, I got a couple of solid days of playing it. Yeah, yeah. Um. So I mean, but, but that's across all three characters, right? So, mm-hmm. so you've got to put a little bit of time in it to to to, to catch people yeah. up, but it's not insurmountable, not unfeasible. Yeah, to and, I, so. and the other thing is, I was playing all plot, uh, so I don't actually know how leveling up from the Crucible. Yeah reacts which i think a lot of people end up doing because you get the crucible rewards and the reputation for them which means excuse me you'll unlock the ability to buy the fancier things sooner because mm-hmm. you should be you can level up purely without the plot yeah i mean it's 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 one of those where it was the same with the division um that I sort of tend to go with the uh, like World of Warcraft model and do things like PvP and stuff when you've reached high le- highest level and then you go into PvP and you start unlocking the rewards for PvP gear to make you better in those situations and stuff. And that was actually something that you did once you've exhausted almost everything else within the game. Right. Whereas something like The Division, and I would imagine similarly with The Crucible and Destiny, um, it's something you dip in and out of in between doing story missions um and something that a lot of people play as they progress their character 
up rather than waiting until they've done everything to then have a go at. Well, and they've sort of staged it like that. So mm. I, I can't remember. I think it's level 20 is when you unlock the ability to go to the Crucible. And then you have, like, um, uh, one of your missions is, like, go to the Crucible. And then um, a couple of your class mi- missions are, like, you have to kill X number of people with this move of your class. And so you, because your class is split, you have two versions of that class mission. That you won't, you can't progress in the sort of the class tree, mm. uh, which is not true because the class missions also kick in at, the, at every ten levels. Okay. So you can still do that mission. So it's not like a, a linear tree, but they're sort of if you want to do get your class, all your class perks, like for example the gear that they give up, you're going to have to go there sooner rather than later anyway. Mm, mm. Uh, same, oh. they have a different sort of quest queue. For crucible stuff. Okay. So you have your quests, which you can have up to 32. But then there's also bounties, which you can have up to 16. And the bounties can be either be for the Vanguard, which is basically uh, PBE-style content. Right. Or for the Crucible. And they're like... Like, for the Vanguard, one of them is you get 3,000 experience and a bunch of Vanguard rep if you last 10,000 XP without dying. Okay. That's cool. If you die, the counter resets. So it, it yep. just—it's a quest that just stays there, um, and those you can resolve as soon as you pass them, um, and then you can just go to the bounty and, say, and guy and get new ones. Mm. And you can use all sixteen spots for one type, the other, or any balance of that. It's just these yeah. are bounties, and that again sort of encourages you to mess around in in the various modes. That's cool. That's cool. So there's a lot of incentive to try out everything that it has to offer. Um, obviously once you've then hit level 20 so it does put a little bit of a, a limit on there and wants you to and hit some story stuff sort of first I guess and get a feel for the game and how you're going to be playing yeah and uh, and, and uh, the, the Rise of Iron brought in a whole bunch of Crucible modes that you can't play unless you're level 40 and have of course our own Rise of Iron or whatever Yeah, um, and so that's another way of sort of tapering the content um, so because for, for to be honest, like why wouldn't you want to try some of the earlier stuff before you get like it sort of makes there is PvP in game content. So this other content it just just by the styling of the sort of mm. locked away to level forty means that it makes sense that you would try it because it just yeah, seems yeah. like it's you're supposed to. Nice. How does it um it, it just as a final sort of thought, how does it shape up against other sort of first person shooters? Um so it has a bit of um, aim assist, okay. Um, which is actually, I think, the way it's styled is a good thing. It's not very strong, but like some weapons have, um, I think they call it. Uh, I can't remember the term, but basically they they have a stronger. As you level it up, it'll it'll acquire target acquisition is is uh, faster, right? And all that means is that it'll like if you're like slowly go like if you're going over to try and get a headshot it'll slightly snap to it okay okay which means once you get used to that system uh it means like my striker it's as a hand cannon aka a pistol as it's like main um like a like a nine or a six shooter Mm. like revolver style um as its main weapon but i can headshot across the field and if i do if i headshot i kill while a lot of the rifles won't do one hit kills (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that seems ridiculous because it's a hand cannon right so it's yeah. just you but you have to but you like 
you have to get the aim right. Yeah, yeah. And like, if there's like seven guys on there, I'm not going to be able to kill. Like I have six bullets. Mm. With like they're super high impact, which is why if I hit the right spot, guy drops. But, um, but then so I, I've paired it with a longer range um, secondary weapon, which uses a different type of. So there's primary ammo, there's secondary ammo, and there's heavy ammo. White ammo, green ammo, purpley pink ammo. Yeah, and no matter what the thing is, it'll work, which is kind of <laughs> okay. nice. Yeah. Um. Which makes sense because most of them are like energy-ish, although the mm. rifles sort of sound like guns. Um, but then you have your two main types of heavy weapons are machine gun and rocket launcher. <laughs> You're like, this glowing pink thing has rockets and bullets in it. Nice. Good. Sounds good, though. Like I, I've never really been taken with it. It's never <laughs> really interested me. Um, it, it just sort of, when it, when it first released, I think it was built up so much and... It just kind of passed me by, and then you, you get to that point. Yeah, and you, you think, well, it's kind of an MMO. People have been playing it for a couple of months now. I, I've you know, gone past the point where I'm going to easily sort of jump into it. But from what you're saying, it sounds like it is something quite easy to, to get into and yeah, to catch fully. people up on. So cool, cool. Um, the, oh, I don't know. Now I don't know. You can come back to it if you oh, remember. What's also nice is everyone, so you're, you're, you're the three moves you have are your sort of jump modifier, your super move, which builds up over time, and there's ways of doing that. So you have your grenade, your jump modifier, your super, and then a melee-type move. Right. Which encourages um, um, actually being close to things, so you can use your melee, and a lot, of, a lot of gear helmets say, like, melee kills will increase either the super timing or the grenade timing. Right. So it goes faster. Um. And 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 usually your and your melee is also on a timer, and that's like an insta kill on on sort of most regular trash mobs. Um, mm-hmm. And then depending on what type of thing you are, it could just be like, oh yeah, you you arc punch them, and so they dissolve into lightning dust and whatever. Nice. Um, but I, I really enjoy that. Um, I think that's why I like the striker because then I'm using the hand cannon. I'm probably closer. I'm probably able to take the damage, and I can punch a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. So, that's cool. Anyway, that was my last thing, is that uh, that melee's actually incorporated really well for a shooter. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Um, I will jump into um, something that I'm probably going to talk about at a later date, uh, and I won't dwell on this much, but I have been playing, I've played a few games in the Call of Duty Infinite Warfare um, beta. Oh, can you say anything? Is, uh, which is happening now, I believe so. There's so many people that have got it. I mean, if you pre-order the game, it's... It's not a closed beta, so um, I think the only thing I'll say is I'm not really enjoying it very much. Mm. It's a lot similar to Advanced Warfare, Blops 3. You know, it's that kind of like Titanfall, jumpy, jumpy model. Um, and I'm just not used to that. I've, I've After a couple of games, I started to do a little bit more. And, you know, you, you find that you're coming around a corner and you start aiming upwards because you know that maybe someone's running along the wall or jumping around the corner or something like that. Um, but from from what I've played so far, I'm yeah, just not not really hot for it. Um, I'll, I'll try it again maybe this evening, and there's another beta weekend next weekend maybe, or the weekend after. Um, and I may, you know, may have a couple more games next weekend if I've got some time. But 
I think just from the, the the small amount that I've played and the couple of maps that I've played on, it hasn't grabbed me. Mm. Hasn't grabbed me anywhere near as much as the Battlefield beta did. Um, did. Do you recall um, how you felt about? Well, no, almost exactly a year ago, um, we both did the um, Blobs three beta, and we we did. We enjoyed it hesitantly, mm. um, but do you think it's it's a First of all, do you think it's remarkably different? And then secondly, do you think that um, you have the same feeling you're just more jaded or if it's sort of even worse down that path? I, I, it might just be that it's a little more, a little more jaded. I mean, it, to me, I think when we played Black Ops 3, it had all of that running across walls, but the, the the maps were quite tight. There was some very clear routes to move through. Mm-hmm. Um, there was some sort of good um, camping spots and sort of staging areas to be able to push through and progress to, to find the enemy team. Um, and the jumping and, and wall running, I thought, was done quite well. But with Infinite Warfare, it almost feels a little bit slower. Oh, interesting. It's, yeah, it. I don't know whether it is because I've right. played Blobs three for a year, um, and only played the the beta. I haven't I never played the original game or the the sorry the full game. It um, was the same, but it's. It, I mean, it does feel a little bit slower. Um, is that a good thing? Because I'm a year older, my reflexes are a year worse. Um, oh, but I just, I just I don't know what it was. It just didn't it just hasn't grabbed me at all. It just seems very bland and sort of flat kind of mm. um i don't know whether it's just because i've been playing you know you know the kind of game i want to play is is different at the moment um the, the game i'm gonna talk about in depth now is deus ex mankind divided um and i've been playing that for the last week and i think that that going from something a game like that to try the the new call of duty just wasn't a good Mm. match it, it just you know um deus ex gives you some first person shooting it's obviously nowhere near as frantic and stuff as uh, as a multiplayer call of duty game um and not that i've been playing deus ex in that sort of action role i've been playing it quite stealthily right um, but but going from one to the other it just sort of i played a couple of games in cod and thought no i'd much pre- much prefer to be playing deus ex and and went back into playing that um, mm. So it just is it just that it's not very interesting, and it's sort of one dimensional, maybe. Um, whereas something like Deus Ex, I might as well just launch into talking about it. I suppose um, it, it 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 grabs me, it holds me. Um, I like the world. Um, I like the story. What you get, I like the decision tree as such it's not quite a decision tree but um, there are some interesting things to do with the, the dialogue options that you get and the choices that you can make um so for people who don't know deus ex is a futuristic um first slash third person not quite open world not quite action game not quite stealth game it's it tries to do a lot within one package um Basically, you're. Uh, I played the the previous game, um, Human Revolution, which was a PlayStation Three game that came out a while ago. I've no idea when. It's got to be four or five years ago at least. Oh yeah. Um, and I really enjoyed that. It was um, sort of 
it's kind of like a futuristic Metal Gear game almost. Um, with a little bit, you know, there's a, a slight difference to it. Um, you move around mainly in first person and you can snap into cover and that will take you into a third person view. So it makes it a little easier to see what's going on around you, um, pop over the top to have a look at where enemies are and things. You can play through the game either very action heavy and just shoot everybody as you move through, um, letting them set off alarms and stuff so people rush towards you just to be able to take them down. Or you can play it stealthily, which is the way that I've been playing it. You move between cover, you silently take people down. You know, If someone's leaning up against a crate, you, you pop into cover behind the crate and then pull them down and, and you know, punch oh them in God, the face yeah. to, to knock them out from behind. Um, and I, I think the, the gameplay loop in that regard is quite fun because it, it punctuates it with lots of other little things rather than just moving through an area and taking guys down. There's loads of stuff that you can do, and loads of different ways that you can approach situations. Um, you might have to go into a room to uh, retrieve an item for somebody, but actually there's four different points of entry to that room, dependent on which way you come from. One might be through the front door. One might be through a vent in the roof that you're able to access through. Another might be through, um, you know, uh, there's lots of vents in this game for you to be able to crawl through and get into spaces. Um, or you can blag your way in. There might be dialogue options for you to be able to lie and actually get into the space through talking to people. Um, so there's loads of different ways to approach all of these situations. Um, and I'm just finding it really fun to kind of almost role play a really sneaky, stealthy character to be able to go about what I sort of need to do. Um, and it's kind of got a moral morality kind of choice based system in it you get into dialogue options with people and you have um you know maybe three different options that you can say um, and obviously these are already you know pre-picked for you so you can either have something like negotiate threaten or um you know give up so i don't know the precise names for them um, and it will take you into down different paths which open up different dialogue dependent on what you've chosen and it will make people react to you in different ways um there was one instance where i'd done a mission and i collected some evidence and once i jumped back to the quest giver if you like he said oh what did you find and i had the choice to either give him the evidence or not and up to that point the game had kind of made me a little bit suspicious of him based on what other characters had said uh, based on the actions that he'd taken. And some of that stuff I could have completely missed. There are things that characters had said that I might not have even spoken to that character um, that's in this sort of like open-worldy type area. I, you know, Had I not spoken to that character, I'd have had a completely different um, thought process and a different reaction to this quest giver um, than, than I actually did. And I chose not to give him the evidence because I was a little bit suspicious I then progressed through a little bit more and went and chatted to one of the characters who um, was suspicious of of the quest giver. And it gave me the option to give them the evidence mm. or not. And I did so. This character had come across as um, sort of friendly to the cause as such. And they'd given me quite a lot of information. And I, as such, trusted that character. Um, so I gave them the evidence. And as soon as I'd done that, I thought, am I being completely played here? Mm. Am I being just double-crossed massively? And actually, they've thrown suspicion on 
that person to sort of shade their own wrongdoing and they're now going to use that evidence for their own purposes. And this game keeps doing this to me. It keeps making me second guess everything that I'm doing. Hmm. So I'm now getting into situations and a dialogue tree will come up. And rather than me just going, oh, I'm j- I'll just I'll play it safe. I'll just agree with this person and do whatever. I'm actually thinking, ooh, should I threaten this person? Should I, you know, maybe agree with them and then hammer at them and confront them about what they're talking about? Just completely change tact halfway through the conversation. Um, so it's it's really interesting in that regard that it sort of allows you to kind of play your own style, but not give you any outward indication as to whether you've done it correctly or not right so you know we talk about infamous you're either good or you're bad that determines the kind of powers that you have these dialogue options might close off some story but it's story that i'll never know that it's going to close off because i haven't gone down that path right uh rather than it giving you a uh not physical but a you know it doesn't an ability from yes 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 um so I mean, I, I really enjoy it in that that regard um, because it's all futuristic and stuff. You do get the ability to upgrade the character with various different augmentations. He, uh, he's a human, but he's heavily augmented. He's got lots of mechanical body parts, so you can get like a double jump and stuff like this. And one of the augments is your ability to read people better. So you can um, pick up on things that they're saying and that might then push you more towards a, a dialogue option, which will give you the best outcome for that conversation. And that was one of the um, augmentations that you can unlock. Uh, of, of course, if you don't upgrade enough, you don't do enough stuff, you can't unlock it. Right. So you can all, you could go through the whole game without any of that, and out, without worrying about any of the dialogue that you did. But I got so involved in what I was saying to people that as soon as I thought, actually, that's going to give me a massive benefit, it was sort of, yep, I'll unlock that one. And I've, you know, not gone for, I've not unlocked things like aim. So, you know, when I'm aiming at someone, it isn't quite as good as the, the character's full potential and stuff. Um, so I'm definitely going through it in a more, much more involved, sort of almost role-playing kind of capacity, rather than it just being another, let's get some guns, let's kill everyone, let's bowl through this story and just experience what's going on. Um, I'm getting properly involved with it, and and it's it's just it's just really fun. I don't think it was received very well by um, critics, uh, but I'm really yeah, it, enjoying it. It didn't seem to sort of appear anywhere. It sort of flashed uh, and then disappeared onto me. Like I don't actually know much about it. Yeah, it's. Um, I think they just released some um, single player. Well, I say single player, that it is only single player. Um, they've just released some additional content for it. Um, I, I don't know whether that's sort of just a few additional missions or a progression, uh, you know, like an epilogue or something like that. Um, uh, I'm not too sure. But that kind of released, or seemed to release with zero fanfare um, and kind of just, I didn't even know it had released, to be fair. I popped the game in um, and then realized that i could pick up when it you know when i checked the trophies right. suddenly there was a, a an entry for sort of dlc trophies so that was the first time i'd actually realized um that they'd had some additional content for it um so you said you had played um 
The previous game. Yeah, but not the previous to that. Um, oh shit! I played. I played the original Deus Ex. When was that? Ninety nine, two thousand, maybe. Uh, it's a while ago now. Um, I played that. I didn't play two, which was Invisible War. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah, maybe. But I, yeah, I didn't play two or Invisible War. Whether they're the same game or not, I haven't played that. Um, and I, I, you know, I two thousand. It was 2000, yeah, yeah. I haven't gone back to the, the original Deus Ex since that first playthrough. Um, but I suppose the IP just went away for, you know, 10-odd years. Um, and then these games now, I think Human Revel... No, sorry, Mankind Divided is kind of a direct sequel to Human Revolution. You play as the same character. Right. It continues from the events of that that first game actually you get a massive like 15 minute intro video recapping all of the things that happened in uh, human revolution which was fine because i'd completely forgotten about most of it caught me up to you know as things were you know you know we then did this or this character then showed up to and this happened you're thinking oh yeah okay cool i remember that yeah fine all right i remember that um but 15 minutes it was just a long time just sat there thinking when is this going to end when can I start playing the game um, that was just a bit of a, a drab sort of boring opener to it really mm. um, and one of the one of the criticisms I actually had about um, Human Revolution was that you could run through that game and stun everybody you didn't have to kill anybody except the bosses you had mm. to kill all of the boss characters that you encountered in that game which, you know, went completely against the kind of character that I imagine that I was playing. Right. Okay. And at the moment, I haven't really encountered any boss characters. So I think so far they've steered quite clear of making you do something that wouldn't align with the, your play style. Um, whether I do encounter a boss character and I can stun them rather than kill them would be, will be good to see. Right. But they've just completely removed boss characters would be interesting to Which see. Which would be nice because it it is one of the most artificial things. Mm, mm. Uh, in, in, in games where um, you're playing against mostly people-like things, I mean, with, with Deus Ex, um, you have, uh, you know, uh, we've sort of skipped over the, the basic lore-ish, but, like, you have nanobots and all kinds of fancy up, uh, cyborgy upgrades. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so you can ha- you can craft uh, a reason for a boss character that way. But in a lot of games, it's just like, oh, again, this guy's just uber for no discernible he, reason. He, he trained for four hours a day more than everybody else yeah. for three years, and he's just better than everybody. Yeah, yeah. It, it, they do seem quite artificial. You can kind of understand, you know, you go back to something like Sonic or Mario and you have, you know, like Bowser or, or Dr. Robotnik at the end of a level. Um, Sorry, who? Dr. Robotnik, mate. Who's that? The correct name. I only know name. who Eggman is. The correct name Thank for you. Sonic's nemesis. The um, you, you could kind of see that they would put something like that in because it, it, it finished a level as such. Um, whereas now you're getting much more open world experiences to kind of just have a, um, like a boss character 
that's blocking your path kind of as you say just seems artificial and just very much shoehorned in just for a, a higher challenge than yeah. you sort of experience normally I um I thought uh, my last playthrough of um, Max Payne one I felt like that mm. where the like the head of the club just is a bullet sponge in a way that no one else is like and they make some of the sort of boss characters they allude to the fact that they're on the drug so they might you know the PCP effect kind of thing yeah yeah but other than that it's just like oh yeah he's a boss so I've got to kill him more times. <laughs> oh, he's taken on three forms. Good, excellent. I now need to kill him three yeah. times. Fantastic. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I hope that um, that uh, Deus Ex doesn't have bosses, really, because um, I think it would take me out of it a little bit. Although I have encountered a character through the storyline who they are sort of pushing as the main antagonist, um, very in the background at the moment. Um, but I think they'll appear a little bit more towards the last few missions as I uncover more about the sort of goings-on of, of various story events. I think they'll sort of come to the fore a little bit more. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's really enjoyable. It's it's something that I will... It's one of those games that I'm definitely going to see through um, and complete um, and possibly... Replay? Maybe not replay fully but i'd like to go in actually and experience a game where i just go all you know guns out and absolutely hammer through to see just what the difference would be what that would lock off for me in terms of dialogue with various characters and you know how the world around me actually reacts to me you know i don't run around with a gun out when i'm in you know running through the streets of prague um because i know that it would you know it will panic people yeah. And there, there are just civilians walking around that will panic and then go and tell guard, you know, policemen. Um, and I, I think because I am augmented, they would just get their guns out and just shoot me if I'm running around causing panic in the streets. Um, so that will be interesting to see if that does happen. But at the moment, I don't kind of don't really want to jeopardize my um your run, my run, even um, though I could do it and then just you know save. Have a little yeah, bit of a play I hear what you're saying, though. Yeah. You're in a mentality in the game. Um, yeah, exactly, exactly. Did you ever play Dishonored 1? Mm. I really like Dishonored. And did you do a similar attempt of mostly stealth, or did you I, sort of mix it up in that game? I, I tried to do a similar it's fucking sort hard of to thing, do but it's stealth. very hard to do. I seem to remember one mission in that which, which stands out at me massively was when you're back in the pub and suddenly the enemy forces um, appear and they sort of surround the pub. And I think the best way to be able to, to get out of that situation is through a sort of more stealthy option. You pop onto the roofs and you drop down onto people to be able to, to take them out and stuff. And uh, yeah, I, I seem to remember that game almost called for different play styles in different situations. That's, yeah, I, I definitely think it was... Um... It was a. Uh, it wasn't a game which sort of made you pick one sort of path. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, I think you, you didn't. Nor did it sort of not let you do that. But it definitely, it was just always flexible in your style of play. Yeah. Um, 
and, and it, sometimes it made meant that stealth was tougher, and sometimes it meant that balls out was tougher. But neither were impossible by any. But it, it it gave you the tools to be able to snap between sort of you know the different play styles that it, it allowed. Um, you know, you weren't just stealthy, so that's all you could kind of do. And if you came into a situation where actually you needed to be a lot more aggressive and just run into the fray of things, that you're so underpowered in that aspect of it. Um, that it made it really difficult. Uh, it, it didn't do that. It didn't lock that off for you. It, it allowed that freedom very much. Um, Dishonored 2 is one of those games that actually I'm really looking forward to. Um, hopefully, that's. I think that comes out in November. I believe so, yeah. Um, it's so, one of the my sleeper-excited games in that I loved Dishonored 1. I have... I've seen nothing that dissuades me from it, but I just keep mm. forgetting it's coming out so soon. Yeah, yeah, completely. I mean, um, I'm really looking forward to Battlefield 1, and that kind of has taken precedent over everything else almost. Um, Tomb Raider, uh, or Rise of the Tomb Raider, came out on PlayStation 4 um, not long ago. Um, I'm really interested in playing that. I just picked up Mad Max um, through a Steam sale. I'm really interested in playing that. Oh, it's, like, it's solid. Um, and there's lots of these games that seem to be just going under the radar almost for me at the moment. Um, Deus Ex, I didn't pick up until last week and that's a month, two months maybe um, that ago that that was, that was actually released. Um, I think the rest of my year is kind of going to be like that. I'll pick up a game a couple of months after it's released, especially the more sort of single player um, story driven games like Tomb Raider, Deus Ex, uh, you know, Dishonored. I think they're going to be, you know, maybe Dishonored and Tomb Raider are going to be kind of like Christmas games. Yeah. Um, when I've got some time off from work over Christmas. Um, yeah, I don't... Um, there's sort of zero day one games for me coming mm. down the pipe. I, I might end up getting Battlefield day one yep. because you're getting it. And yeah, yeah. We haven't played games together in a while, and that's a good enough reason. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but other than that, no, there's nothing like in and of itself that I'm like, ooh, I want that. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I feel very similar. Um, let's move on. Beer number two. And whilst we're enjoying our beers, we're going to be talking to everybody about our experiences with VR or VR for those uninitiated. Oh, in, I thought um, you were like going to say or virtually, yeah. like in a weird accent, and you just said vert, and I and Ver- then I was like, what? Did he stop? Oh no, um, we need to reboot Ben. I've 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 crashed, mate. I've crashed completely. Um, what am I going to drink second? I am going to drink a cloud water. This oh, is a well, it's called White IPA Comet, six point five percent. It's an IPA brewed with Vermont yeast, pitch that produced a mix of Belgian yeast like esters and a peachy fruity finish. Oh. There's more in that bottle, isn't there? Sorry. Doesn't cloud water have a spiel too? Uh, no, that was it. Oh no! But doesn't it? Say, oh no! I'm thinking of the other one, um, not cloud water, but um, chemical brewing or whatever it is. Good chemistry, chemistry. Mm, mm, good the chemistry. Ones that yeah. have like the seventeen percent blah. Yes, four yeah, percent clipboards. Yeah. Oh, while you pour, I'm going to talk about my second beer, which is the N Seven IPA from Hammerton. This a brewery based in Islington, in London. A refreshing pale ale with six different hops from the U.S. and New Zealand, giving a complex citrus aroma. 
The subtle sweet malt flavor balances the fresh bitterness. Hammerton Brewery original, originally, good lord, Hammerton Brewery originally began brewing in London in 1868. Sadly, it ceased to brew in the late 1950s and was later demolished in 2014. A member of the Hammerton family decided to resurrect the brewery and now uses both modern and traditional techniques. It also brings back brewing to Islington, a London borough with a great brewing heritage. Um, and of course, it's called N7 because that is um, the prefix Mass of the effect. Yeah. No, it is the first uh, part of the postcode. The postcode, yes, in uh, somewhere in North London, isn't it? N7, I would yeah. imagine. In, in Islington, you didn't listen to me at there all. There you go, Islington. That's what it was. No, that I missed that bit. I was thinking of Mass Effect. That was all. It's five point two percent. It's interesting because it says it's an IPA on the underneath five point two point five point two percent, but the um, spiel just called it a pale ale. Uh, well, I mean, this this cloud water it does say that it's a, a mixture of Belgian yeast and a peachy fruit finish. I'm instantly hit in the nose with um, that that sort of like. A classic Belgian beer kind of smell. It's almost like uh, like that very sort of sweet, wheaty kind of smell. Sweetie. Sweetie. The sweetest smell. You know, something that's similar to uh, a Lefe or, you know, uh, like a beer like that. Like a, a beer Lefe like or that. a Chouf. Mm, mm. A Chouf. La Chouf. Definitely. That's, I mean, the smell, it smells very nice. It smells very sweet. Am I getting peaches? Of... Don't know. Don't know yet. They come from a can. Do you reckon the peaches in this beer come from a can? They were put there by a man. Can by me. Mm. Downtown. Wow. Nothing? Do you, is, this is a very North American song. No, I don't know what that is. Ah. Well, to be fair, the band's name is uh, President of the United States of America. But oh, if you haven't heard... I do know peaches, what that is. What's it that is that? fantastic. That's got to be about 15 years old, that song. Oh, probably like 20. <laughs> I think it was probably 13 when it came out. Oh, God. <laughs> More than half your life ago. Um, having said that, I got to see the Pusa at, uh, live in concert in 2012 in Amsterdam. Oh. It was like, yeah, I, it just sort of showed up on one of my uh, concert websites. It's, like they're a, still going. And I was like, holy shit. I can't believe this is amazing, and it was fantastic. They played a few of their old, like newer songs from like the album since, but basically it was the first two album highlights, and they just rocked it. And it was nice. in uh, the Paradiso, which is a um, a converted old church. It's great, cool, nice man. Yeah. Nice. Uh, it was like such a weird confluence of my like life moments. Um. But yes, uh, they come from a man. In a can. In fact, yeah. You do get the, um, the, 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 the peachy flavor definitely within the taste. Um, the beer itself is a very, very light color, as you oh, would wow. expect um, from sort straw. of like a, a Belgian style kind of beer. Um, although this is suggested to white IPA. I'm not sure what constitutes uh, a white IPA. I believe it's an IPA that doesn't look orangey and kind of looks like that. Yes, possibly. I mean, you're not getting there any kind of big, hoppy, bitter kind of flavours that you would expect from uh, an IPA. It is very delicate, fruity, uh, very malty flavour. Um, I poorly poured. 
um, but we've got a fairly clear, sort of deep, uh, rich amber color. Yeah, I'd say. yeah. Um, you immediately get the citrus they were bragging about on with their hop blend. Uh, I would say it's um, surprisingly not grapefruit. Mm. Uh, I would say it's like a light, very light. weak lemon. Okay. A bit citrusy. Yes, the citrus is a bit citrusy. That's us. Uh, we're going to put that on the uh, website as the uh, tagline for Tanked <laughs> Up. Tanked Up, a craft beer and video game podcast. Quote, the cit- citrus is a bit citrusy. How does it taste? Oh, wow. Um, yeah, you definitely get... It's like um, a detarded lemon. So the core lemon right. taste, but not without the, the sour. Mm, mm. Um, it's slightly dry on the finish, but mostly just that slowly fading away. It's not very strong at all in the finish. Mm. So it's kind of, it's similar to the last beer where you could easily keep drinking it, but there is that, that, um, citrus taste that lingers. It's just so weak that it's sort of not, it's still there 20, 30 seconds later, but it's not doing a lot and hasn't been doing a lot for a while. So, yeah. Yeah. So virtual reality we're going to chat a little bit about it our first experiences with it adel you have just purchased a playstation vr kit and i came around to your place and we tried it out or i tried it out for the very limited time that i was at your place and i assume that you've tried it out since i did um I, i have tried all of the vr worlds what's your initial impression um generally about uh, about playstation vr uh i think it's it's really responsive um i think it's probably the best designed headset um for universal um head mounting yeah um the the two buttons for one for bringing the lenses closer and further away to you and then the other for tightening the head straps etc and then the last little dial to tighten it, the more um, are make it pretty much impossible for someone not to be able to fit it. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, um, it does sort of take a couple of readjustments when you first put it on to because you sort of tighten it as if um, as if it was like a baseball cap, but then you have to sort of drag it down, yeah, um, yeah, so that it sits um, underneath. Your, the sort of the swoop in of your skull technical yep. term um and uh i actually you said you didn't have any uh light bleed and i had some when i first was mucking about with it and then after you left i figured out how to make it have almost none cool um nice. my larger slash wider nose does mean that light bleed is easier to come by yeah yeah um i think both of us had the problem of direct focus and mm. like how close the lenses could get to your face. Uh, you want to explain a little bit of what that, what that meant to you? Yeah. Um, I think the, the, uh, I suppose just through the headset and the size of my head, it would, it never seemed to get close enough, um, for the PlayStation home screen for the text to appear crisp. Now I could hold the headset, and push it down very slightly so it would you know come in i only needed it to come closer to me by about a millimeter for it to be perfectly in focus um but just the standard um headset is as tight as i could get it on my head 
Um, like I just couldn't get that text back into perfect focus again. It wasn't it wasn't bad by any means. Um, it was just slightly, you know, feathered around the edge a little, slightly pixelated. Uh, it wasn't quite as crisp on the text, but I'm not really sure that that made much difference to the visuals and the the game. I mean, you know, when you're looking at text, you're talking about a very straight edge, about a very clear cut of pixels um, of, you know, where, say, a blue background is and where a white text starts. Um, you, you've, you've got that very definite edge to it, whereas with a lot of games, you know, stuff bleeds over quite a lot. You don't have on, you know, they say like muscle definition, because I played the London Heist. You've got a guy in a vest. He's got, you know, his arms out. So, you know, where his arms in the background kind of bleed into each other, you don't have a, and you, you wouldn't have um, a very clean sort of cut between them almost. There is obviously a clean cut because it's two different models or it's a model walking around a space. But because of the 3D nature of the the model, you don't have that sharp edge um, to stuff. So within the actual visuals of the game, I don't think that mattered too much. Now, you mentioned London Heist. Uh, In that game, there's several um, different sort of plot scenes in different places. So you have those interstitial cards. Mm-hmm. That are black background, white text that says like you know, lock London lockup six forty five p.m. Yep. Those did you notice sort of midstream? Did they sort of strike you as out of focus or they not didn't? Clear? They didn't strike me as out of out of focus, but they weren't crisp. Oh, gotcha. Um, you you definitely had a little bit of pixelation to them, um, but they didn't really seem out of focus as such they could they could have uh, you know probably been they might may have looked better had the headset have been that little bit closer to me but i think it's in the sort of the smaller um text the very clean yeah, cuts like kind of like on the playstation, PlayStation menu, menu on the cinema screen yeah yeah exactly um that, that you really notice that and i think that was just because the with the headset itself where the, the position of the um the strap around the back of my head the um the bit that sits over the front of your face kind of rose very tilted very slightly away from, you know, my nose. So it was almost, I'm doing motions to add all, no one else can see what I'm doing, but it's kind of like it, it, the bottom part kind of pushed out a little bit. Cause obviously the top of the headset is connected to that loop, which sits around your head. So that is the pivot point on the headset. And it's almost as if it didn't quite pivot into my face. You know, yeah. as I say, it was about a millimeter that would have done it, but I was—I got a little head, so I would guess it's two or three. But um, uh, I played around with it, like I said, uh, after you left, and then later that evening, uh, and then I stopped doing it because I have work to do. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and um, I found that once I sort of the, the, the those two issues—my issue of my light bleed and your issue, and our our mutual issue of that sort of clarity—seem yeah. to be solved with a lot of sort of mucking about which mm. i think once i think it'll enter your muscle memory once you use it a handful of times you'll just know how to sort of put it on the right way that yep. for you um it, it even said in one of the tutorials that like it like when the setup it then said like basically muck about it takes a bit to to make it work right and i did when i set it up but not like a lot of times when you were coming over um and i think so i think that's probably fixable having said that 
when it's nice, clearly in focus, it betrays the screen door effect. Mm. Um, this is a thing that bothers some people more than others. Uh, I've had a problem with, so the Oculus DK2, um, which I've had for a couple of years now, yeah. um, has a 1080p screen per eye, basically. So it's double the resolution, right? Um, and it has a pretty strong screen door effect, um, which isn't a big deal when you're in a like world and walking around, but when mm-hmm. you're looking at a menu. And so like when you, there's various different virtual desktop softwares, applications, that sounds like a better word to use. Bleep bloop, bleep bloop. I'm editing yeah. over this. Totally good I, that I did this. Um, <laughs> and, and that really came like, so, cause some people created software to um, sort of mean that, with the DK2, you could either run it in um, basically app-controlled mode, where an app sees it and then throws visuals that way, yep. or extended desktop mode. And for the l- most of the DK2 development cycle, the um, the direct mode was really slipshod and unreliable. Un- uh, so a mm-hmm. lot of people ended up extending their desktop, but that meant... Ideally, to make sure things spawn in the right way, you know, Windows, you want your primary, your primary monitor, your, the monitor you want to game on has to be set as the primary monitor, but it means everything spawns on that one. Yeah. So people came up with this desktop software that basically made, rendered, it was a, a, as thin as they could make it an app to make a virtual screen in front of you of your desktop so that when you spawn things, it would intercept and then put it on its sort of recessed version of your desktop. So it layers so you do all things. of your things. Yeah. Um, and, and it looked just like, uh, which we'll talk about in a second, the cinema screen. It's the same idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so not cinema screen, the menu display. The menu right? screen. Mm. Um, and uh, and it was very obvious to me in the DKU that you couldn't compute with this because you were just too close. Uh, I have to say that the screen door effect is definitely there in the Sony, mm-hmm. um, but I actually think it's, despite the fact that it's half the resolution, I think it's less, I mean, I haven't used the DK2 in a while, but I think it's less extreme. But again, the smallest text you're seeing is the console menu system, which uses larger fonts, et cetera, than, than a, and the whole operating system's at 1080p. Yeah, yeah. Um but uh, when Sony, Sony's had their glib response, when people were like, how are you going to make this work? They have screen door effects on the Vive and the, on the Rift, and you're having the resolution. You guys are boned. And they're like, we've been making lenses for a million years. Fuck yeah, yeah. And I think it's true. You can definitely see that there's some solid optic um, engineering going on. But at the same time, I, 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 I see it. Like, um, again, if I was watching a film, it wouldn't matter. Um, because you just don't have things of that size and and detail and and um, staticness. Yeah, yeah. But it, I couldn't, I couldn't. I, even the menu system, I was like, you'd, you'd think though that, uh, like you say, that Sony would get it right because they do have a whole optics division to Sony. You know, completely the separate division? From, from the division. That is the division. But they they make loads of spoiler of... alert for the end of the division. <laughs> That's what it is. The whole thing was arranged by Sony. Just, just has has her eye just standing around there, yeah. lording it up. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, they 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 produce stuff that uh, that will be going into the headset, you know, uh, for for lots of different things. So the tech should be there, whereas 
it, like HTC have probably got quite a lot of third party um, elements. Is company, so yeah, the, the, so they're picking stuff up from other people and, and cobbling OLEDs it all and together. Stuff is totally what they their line of business, but mm. the OLEDs and a lens such that you had deal with it right in your face or not. Yes. Um, with Oculus, um, Samsung's may entered the market very, very recently, and their team teamwork has, has really helped them. I think, um, it, like on the main line, not just the Gear VR, but mm-hmm. Samsung has been doing sort of all of the things forever. In the end, they're all they're uh, both um, the Vive and the Oculus are using um, third party Fresnel lenses, which are the concave concave yeah, yeah. lenses that. That allow you to see the screens in a way that m- mimics your field of view appropriately. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so, so a, a, a quick question: as someone who has, because I've only um, experienced VR um, last week on um, on your um, PlayStation VR, I've not used uh, an Oculus or a Vive or a Gear or anything before, um, and I thought. As a quick remark, that it was very immersive, it looked great, and I felt that I it's something that I want to use, um, you know, again and, and experience a lot more. My question to you, as someone who has used a couple of different um, VR headsets and, and had different experiences, were you as taken with? Um, PlayStation VR as you were with, say, like your first experience in um, virtual reality. I think that's unfair because I think your first experience with a virtuality, virtuality, virtual reality, virtuality. On, from, let's say, from the Oculus DK1, which I've never used, but has had similar sort of storytelling as my experience with the DK2. Yeah. Um, and the Vive and the, even the Gear VR um, and um, and the PSVR, I think it's you're going to remember that because it's such a foreign experience Mm -hmm. and you're like holy shit so my first experience with vr was when uh my um oculus dk2 came uh in the mails and i just set it up and i used their demo to make sure everything was working which is a uh, basically a blue room um that goes off in infinite uh directions yeah where uh it's not just a solid blue it's sort of a slightly different shade of blue square and then surrounded by uh, an, out- an outline and then tiled over, basically. Okay. Um, and in that room is a desk with a lamp and a potted plant beside you, and you're sitting in a chair, and that's the demo. And you've got the headset on, you look there, but then you just look over to the left, and you're suddenly, the, the camera pans, and you see the fucking light. Yeah. Right? And you're like, holy shit. Um, and the only thing that was weird is you could, you had to sort of click, sit or stand, mm-hmm. but you could turn all around. You could stare like you could put your head, which I know you did at one point, lean really far yeah, and yeah. close to see the grain of the desk. And it was kind of cartoony and it was amazing. And I can't exp- like there, other people will have a much more like you did. You had a hugely more immersive world mm-hmm. to have mm-hmm. your first experience, but I don't even think that matters in that sense. Like it's, the fact that, although I will say this, and I'm sure you had this, but to a slightly lesser extent, first thing I did was look down, and I saw the red chair, and there was no body and no hands. Yeah. And yeah. that was weird, because my brain was like, you're in this weird room. 
this is oh my god you don't exist but i mean yeah similarly we is it vr worlds um which is the playstation demo disc as such um that was the oh is it not no that's a completely different experience right okay so vr worlds anyway the their main menu screen um where you pick the experience that you want to partake in is um uh, you're in like a circular room and there's statues in the room and pillars and things like that and you're thinking oh all of the textures are really they look really nice the lighting looks fantastic and suddenly i was holding the the playstation um ds4 held it up and a uh, graphic 3d model of the control pad was in front of me and was moving about where i was moving the control pad around but my hands weren't attached to it yeah and it's this floating control pad. You think, oh, shit, I don't exist. Yeah. I am not here. Well, you do exist. You're just some sort of ethereal force. <laughs> now, because we we knew we had limited time, we just sort of, you decided to do the London heist just like uh, I had done in, in the yep. VR demo. Yep. Um, but what we didn't play with was the fact that every um, each one of the five VR worlds, there's a sphere in front of you. Yes, yeah. Uh, it was like a giant ball of water mm-hmm. uh, for the scuba diving. It's a diamond for London it's heist. It's a diamond then. for the heist. What we didn't know is your controller interacts with these things. Oh, right. So, like, you can push the controller into the bubble, and it'll diffract and stuff. When you pull it out, it spills some water. No, that's cool. You can bash the diamond around and it'll come back. And so at one point I had – so because you, the controller is, is the only thing that matters, I was mm. holding holding the controller by one of its sort of the handheld portions, but just by the yep. edge of it. Yep. And the other one was balancing the diamond, and I was saying how long I could balance it. <laughs> and then the luge is a spinning thing, which if you push the controller on, it sparks like it's a – like a, nice. a, a um, metal metal worker's wheel. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool. What else was there? Yeah, and I uh, and so I just bashed things around, and they boomerang back, and I was like, "This is so much fun." I think because we were because we were quite sort of speedy in in getting mics because I was I came to you on my lunch break because I work just up the road from where you're living now. Um, I came to you on my lunch break, and it was right. Let's let's do one of these, or let me do one of these very quickly. So. You're sort of maybe not quite as involved in it as you're going to be. And I wasn't yeah. really listening to any of the story of the London heist or what the characters were saying or anything like that. What I was doing was in one of the first rooms that you get into, you're sat at a table, there's a cigar and a lighter. And I was picking the cigar up, lighting it, and then throwing it across the room. And then a guy would come into the room, and I'm sat there with the, the, the gloves, the hands that appear in front of you, because at this point we've moved over to the um, move control ones. Right. Um, and I was cupping his balls and looking towards his face and tweaking his nose. Yeah. And uh, that kind of pulls you out of the immersion of it. But because it was purely, I suppose, a test. It does and it doesn't, actually. Um, it keeps you in the world because you can do all these stupid things. But the fact that they don't react, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, uh, it's a bit like um, an episode, whatever that um, Alex was talking about Soma and how almost every object was interactive. Yes, but as yeah. soon as he hit something that wasn't, it was so foreign because everything was almost interactive that these few things just jar- were super jarring. Mm. I feel like it's that same feeling of like, holy crap, I'm in this world. Holy crap, I'm not in... I am. Um, the other thing is, um, 
in PSVR, in VR worlds, I should say, they've chosen to have your the move controllers as floating hands. Yes. And um, not uh, have sort of fake arms. Like, they don't give you a fake body. Mm. Um, because of that, you can put the hands in really stupid um, orientations. Yeah. Uh, uh, but it does it does make this this sort of super immersive technology definitely gimmicky feeling in a certain way. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. And I, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd agree. I'd agree. Um, you sort of you see these floating hands, and you you play around a little bit more than maybe you would if there wasn't uh, wasn't anything there. But with something like the London Heist, it, it lets you pick up, you know, like a roll of money or a mobile phone, or later on you can pick up a gun and you have to load magazines manually into the gun when you run out of ammo. So you need the hands there to do the things. To do the things, and if you just had a floating gun and you didn't have any corporeal manifestation of a hand to try and pick up a magazine, it would be very difficult to know the depth mm. to actually reach for something. So you do need some oh, no, kind of manifestation. It's just, yeah. It's just weird that they sort of took only that step. I will say that in the space scavenger VR world, um, you're sort of a weird alien in a sort of mech walker. And um, which is great because uh, you still don't have to worry about legs. because No one knows how to do legs, <laughs> um, but you, like when you push the two or three buttons that are supposed to do the two or three things, like the guy's hands in the lower part of your screen flex his various fingers. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you actually have your hand there, um, and you're you're um, you don't need you're not using the move controllers, so you're aiming and moving kind of like a first person shooter. But if you look over, uh, he says, looking over and realizing no one else but Ben can see it, um, you see your shoulder and your whole okay. arm, and it's almost super immersive except for the fact that if you just the very last sort of inch of um head travel starts to make your shoulder um clip in and out yeah yeah Um, but but like if you're just looking at your lap or looking at your like the various parts of your mac you would feel like you were in there despite the fact that you're holding the controller like this instead of doing the being the guy sort of with his arms out on I suppose the, the problem with that is that if you can look down and you can see a body and you can see legs um you know you might then sit there and shift your position very slightly oh. you know you move your knees and the model doesn't move obviously you're not wearing a body so you don't have sensors on there to allow anything to pick up that, that you're moving deal. um no. so I usually when I sit down on on a chair uh I immediately cross my ankles okay uh, which is part and parcel of my bad posture, but the guy didn't have crossed angles and it wasn't, it didn't seem like a big deal. At one point I definitely noticed, Oh, my ankles are crossed instead of like, duh. Mm. Uh, but other than that, like I, I really didn't have a problem looking at my fake guy being slightly different for me. And I think that's the years of regular video gaming being okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. But it, yeah. it's, it's like, like I said, I was on the DS4. So I already had that disconnect of input. Mm hmm. So it was okay that my guy wasn't quite mimicking me, but it was, I still got to feel the sort of VR rush of, and when I look down, there's a body, even though the body isn't responsive, I like the two melded actually reasonably well, while with the London heist and the loading hands, um, I found, I never really felt like I was a gangster. And so when they said they, 
which in various cutscenes they said they in mm-hmm. multiple of the worlds, which is great because they're not assuming he. But it, it, I was sort of like, well, no, like if this was a mafia game, I'd be playing a male protagonist probably because that's the kind of guy who would be in with this gang because that's the kind of world we live in. Yeah. And so that they actually made me feel weirder than it should have. Oh, really? Okay. Because it was like, at no point did I think the guy was me and therefore that they would make sense because if I was a girl, I wouldn't want to be feel disconnected at that point. And no mm, point did I think mm. I was him because I was just controlling his floating gloves. Yeah, yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Um, let's, let's just move on to our final thoughts about, um, about VR in general. I mean, I've only used PlayStation VR, so I can only give you final thoughts on that. But I very much enjoyed it. I definitely want to, want to use it again. Um, I, to bring in other units and other makers, I'm not sure whether I'm that fussed about trying out, you know, uh, different kits and setups and things like that. I think just in general that I want to experience more VR, whether that's on the, the PSVR or whether I would, you know, pick up like an Oculus or a, a Gear VR, which is the more affordable um, version of all of these, isn't it? I think. But, yeah, um, but the Gear VR is limited to mobile. Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah, very true, very true. Um, so um, the Vive, I think, is the biggest step forward, but you need the space. Yeah, because that's um, got the multiple sensors, hasn't it, that you put around the room? Yeah, well, it's got two. Uh, so oh, it's only two, put, okay. Yeah, you put a laser sensor uh, in one corner and then the diagonal opposite corner, you put the second one. Right. Um, but it gives you the full 3D space. It also, because of that, can will will actually tell you when you're about to hit the wall because the sensors have scanned the wall. Mm-hmm. So it actually knows your relative position. Having said that, except for a couple gimmicky moments, um, games haven't really like really sort of taken to this extra mode that much. So I don't think you're losing a lot. Yeah, yeah. I think the biggest thing is that the Move and the Vive uh, have the two controllers, but now the Oculus by the end of the year should have their controller just touch. Yeah. In which case, I think it becomes a very, very level playing field. Uh, apart from price, I suppose. Yeah, and I'm speaking purely like... Um, In tech terms, yeah. And, yeah. and also think that developers realize that with that, like, if I can make a... Like, like the guys who do Windlands, um, which is great. Um, it's also DS4 games, I didn't quite count. But, like, they have now... When Windlands comes out on the PS4, it it's on all three platforms. Mm-hmm. And I don't see why you wouldn't want to do that. A lot of these games are being made in Unity, so you don't have to worry about PS4 because there's a there's a whole export kit. Yep. That does almost all of the work. Devs, if you're listening, I know there's more, but let's just. <laughs> um, so I think the like the room VR stuff, I think will will, except for very unique experiences, probably won't play a lot in this mm, next sort of mm. run. But the the multiple um, the two motion controlled hand surrogate controllers will mean a lot more. And cool. to be honest, if what I've been reading is correct, so one of the big problems with the um, I don't know, I, I meant to show this. Oh fuck! I just put a USB cable in my coffee. Um, <laughs> one of the things I meant to show you, Ben, while you were here, was the Vive controller. Yeah, and it's because it's Steam. You've got uh, the main thing is a touchpad. Yep. Um, so the um, Oculus Touch is an analog stick, um, which basically means it's like both parts of the Move Nav bundle in one. And I actually think it, given how gamers work, 
I'm guessing it's probably going to be the most um, learning friendly, familiar of the touch controllers. Yeah, it's kind of like the having the additional nunchuck, isn't it, for the Wii? Um, having yeah, that analog well, so, stick yeah, on that so side and it, it move came out they had the nav controller which yes was, they did yeah, yeah that's so right that's it's right. like the nav and the move all in the same box in the so same box yeah yeah um so i actually think that that again i don't know what the price of the touch is but we all already know that it, the oculus by itself is more expensive than the psvr but i suspect that that's probably going to be like all the other things being equal, the the uh, one of the better input devices. Uh, I, I don't know how well it reacts, but because as Sony's proven, you just need a giant light to look at. <laughs> like it, it literally is a giant bulb. That's all it needs. So it's not that. So you, so I say this because that means how your the form factor and how you can easily navigate um, means a lot. And I know you sort of had some trouble with the move some of that was just you've never used one before yeah yeah completely but uh, i know when i did the london heist i was not i was holding the move controller um i was trying to hold it like if it, as if it was a gun rather than holding the controller and then pretending it was a gun and because yeah. of that my thumb was constantly on the ps button yeah i think i didn't experience that because i didn't really have a familiarity with the the um, with the ones um i did the thing that i struggled with was button layout and actually that you're holding two of the same, two of the identical device. So actually, the buttons on each device are the same. It's not like holding a control pad where you have input buttons on right. one side and then directional buttons on another side. You can do the same thing on either of the um, of the ones. Yeah. So that was definitely a little bit of a learning kind of curve yeah, so to understand. I'm pretty sure this is true with the uh, Oculus Touch, but on the Vive, it's the same thing. Yep. They're identical pieces of Just hardware. The same. But what you map to them will be different. Yes, yes. Nice. One thing we didn't do is we didn't use our the straps. Oh. Um, which is, I think, why at one point you and then later that night I did as well mix the controllers up because yeah, you put yeah. them down and you grab them the long way and then the hands were... Um, and so that that's... Was... Oh, shit, I hit the button. Um, yeah, so I think that's a thing that um, uh, is just learning curve. Cool. Input. Nice, but overall, I think um, with the touch now almost out, I think you are going to see games. If I was a dev, I would be focusing on games that use two motion controllers and no room VR and head tracking. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so yeah, I'm, I'm pretty stoked about what's going to come down the, the pipe. I'm looking forward to hearing from the other uh, the the other the Crossfire crew to see because they. I mean, I bought Super Stardust mostly because I love Stardust. So I just mm. kind of wanted to support them and see what the VR experience could be. I haven't put it in yet because, again, I have work to do. I'm yep. being a strong man, he says, after folding and buying the PSVR a day after it came out. <laughs> um, and, uh, um, but I'm looking forward to hearing sort of what these ne- next few things are coming out. My biggest complaint, which I'm going to go into more detail in um, in the Out of the Crossfire episode, is that I don't really see the point of keeping the VR Worlds disc for that long. Yeah, once you've experienced like, it, once so you've experienced it, it's like it, done. Depending on the politics of things and, and your availability, like if you came by um, next over the next week and tried out the various worlds, it'd probably be okay mm. to then trade it in or whatever. Nice. Anyway, so yeah, VR, it's cool. 
it is cool. It is cool. If you take anything away from this episode, it shall be that VR is pretty cool. It's definitely something to try out and experience. I'm actually going down to Bristol City Centre next weekend on the 22nd because they have a uh, event going on. So they're going to have a big booth down there with a load of PlayStation um, VR kits. And it was going to be my first experience, obviously, with you picking it up and me going, you've got it, you've got it, I'm coming around, I'm coming around. It's now going to be my second experience. But hopefully I'll be pushed into um, you know, one of the more fully-fledged games, something like Riggs or... Um, Batman. Batman, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would like, you know, something that uh, I, you know, that you don't have would be would be good. Maybe would, I'll yeah, try yeah. and have a word with them before I, I'm more than likely I'll get down there and be like, right, London Heist, it's ready to go. Here you go, jump in. Like, Thanks. I've God. already played the scenes at uh, this scene and the scenes before this. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So we shall see. I shall report back um, possibly in the next episode. I think it's next weekend, twenty second. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, so. That is another episode. Let's talk about beers. I'm going to go first because I think for me there is definitely a clear win is a strong word. Definitely a clear preferred beer, um, and that is going to be the Wiper and True in the Grooves. Um, the, cloud, the Cloud Water was nice. It's a, it's a good beer. It's fine if you want something that's a little more uh, malty that has those sort of Belgian kind of undertones to it but for me i'm not a big fan of peach and the more i drank it the more that was hitting me um you know the first few sips it doesn't push through too much but actually the aftertaste is really peachy and when you're building and building and building on top of that it was just a little bit too much for me whereas the wiper and chew was nice floral fruity very balanced a very very good amber ale how about you dude um, I think I'm going to go for the N7. Um, Ooh. The... Hammerton. Yes, the Hammerton N7 IPA slash not really an IPA. I think it just had a little more going on. Mm. I think the the Wild Hair was a really tasty pale ale. Uh, it's 5%, by the way. I think I forgot to say that. But it's... Um, I think, honestly, the... If it had a longer finish, I think I would have enjoyed it a lot more. Okay. Um, it's just the finish, it just disappeared so quickly that I couldn't really appreciate it. Because it, it's a pale ale, but with a nice nuanced citrusy um, Citrus. envelope around it. Yeah. And that envelope disappeared so quickly that I couldn't really like it. It's, it's, just, it's a little too quick for me to be like, yeah, it's a great pale ale that's super, that has this neat citrus thing. Because that neat citrus thing is... Super very gone too quickly, yeah, yeah. Yeah. While the N7 was solid throughout, nice. Like, uh, if I basically if I was at a pub and I had both of these, and uh, I, someone said, "Hey, what what do you want?" I'd say another N7. Yeah, nice, nice. A good uh, good way to think about it. Excellent. So we have been tanked up for another week. I'm sure that you're listening to us either through iTunes or another podcast application of your choice. But you can also listen to all of our episodes on outoflives.net. You can also go there to read lots of articles and listen to lots of other podcasts. I know, Adol, you're going to be on Out of the Crossfire next episode, which may or may not drop around a similar time to this one, to discuss PlayStation VR in more depth, or at least um, have a broader range of experiences with um, quite a few of the guys um, yeah, going I mean, on that I know episode. for a fact, like you were mentioning, Riggs uh, and Batman and both of those 
are owned by some of the Crossfire guys. So we'll, yeah, it's, it'll be a good episode if you are interested in the P- PSVR titles and some hands-on experience. For sure. Yeah, yeah, nice, nice. You can go on to social medias to talk to us. You can go on Twitter. You sound like an old man. You can go on, on the social medias <laughs> and then man, tweets feel, and twats and whatnots. I feel like an old man today. I've been doing lots of running around and baby-related activities. <sighs> but anyway... Yes, you can go on Twitter at tankedup underscore cast. You can let us know how you feel about PlayStation VR, VR in general, Deus Ex, or, or the game that Adol played that's got her in Destiny. There it is. It's come back to me. How old do I have? How many beers? There's only two beers. Only two beers. Yeah. Um, you can also go to Facebook. We've got a Facebook page. We post things to it occasionally. Not very much. It's quite left to its own devices. Um, I think we'll probably try and do a little more, like maybe actually mention the contest. Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> I literally just remembered. I completely forgot about that. I thought about it right at the start of the episode and I was going to mention it. I thought, no, no, we'll wait till the end. And then I just gone, gone from my memory. Why, whilst it's gone from my memory, why don't you um tell people firstly, We'll end on the contest. Um, if you want to chat to me, I'm at Nova underscore 47 on all of the things. Adol, you're at the Omniarch on all of the things. Mm-hmm. Begin contest us. insertion. Oh, I, I was going to say a um, couple of extra things. Oh. Um, uh, as always, tell your friends. Um, and uh, leave us a, a review, preferably five star, as every podcast says. But leave us a review on iTunes. It helps out. I noticed that. We have no Canadian reviews, and I know we have Canadian listeners. What are you doing, Canada? Huh? What are you doing? What's going on over there? Oh, yeah. We we, we do have British and German reviews now, thanks. German reviewer, who I don't know of at all. and haven't connected <laughs> with Twitter. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it really helps uh, sort of uh, get us up and out there. Also visit outoflives.net, as Ben said. Um, and in celebration of not only week 50, or episode 50, which was last week, but also because episode 52 will be the one-week-a-year episode, at the end of that week, so beginning of episode 53, we will end the contest, which is send in your pictorial representation of all that is tanked up. That can be an animated GIF. That can be uh, a JPEG of your painting uh, of abstract art that represents Ben and I being lost and drunk at the end of an episode, or whatever strikes your fancy. Um, the top prize is a Steam key of Soma. Uh, I think Alex's uh, top game of last year. Yep, yep, one of his favorite last year. Uh, and the runner-up will get WWE 2K16, also on Steam. It's still 2016, so it's still a relevant game. <laughs> uh, we'll we'll put more on the um, Facebook page and perhaps even a post on Out of Lives. Oh, that's a good idea. I hadn't even thought about that one. I literally um, thought of it right now. We will. I mean, this is all part more, of the plan, people. We will post more to Twitter as well. Um, I believe in the last episode when you inserted competition rules, you created some kind of hashtag. Did you not? Fuck yeah. I don't know if I remember (laughs) the actual hashtag or all the flubs that were at the end of the episode. Insert uh, hashtag here. Hashtag TUP50. That's top 50.
Good, good. Right, we have been tagged up for another week. Take it easy, everybody. Goodbye. Ta. Ta. Yeah, I know. I did that specifically to see how you'd react. <laughs>